0: Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were So they were saying this. What does this mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but, you will, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing and really ending this final discourse between Jesus and his disciples, starting in the upper room. He has told them the final things to give them comfort, to give them some sense of what is going to transpire. This is the night before Jesus will die. Jesus has paved the way for them to understand the different relationships that they need to get right in order to persevere. He begins by telling them about his great love for them, their need to abide in him, the true vine. He talks about their relationship to the Holy Spirit, who's going to come and to remind them of all that he taught them. And the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth, he would be their comforter and their helper. Along the way, he continues to relate to them how he and the Father are one, and their relationship to the Father is being changed into a way that they maybe don't quite realize yet. And indeed, some of that imagery is beginning to be picked up here as Jesus is giving them these last words about his leaving and coming. He tells us specifically in this verse why he has said all these things to them. He tells us in verse 33, I have said these things to you, not just these things, but all of the things... the upper room, that in me you may have peace. Jesus has told these things to them. He is telling these things to us that we might have peace. Another theme that comes along with this idea of peace is joy. If you haven't noticed in most of these accounts, uh, there's this Unexpected joy, that our joy might be full, that the Holy Spirit brings joy. Here we see sorrow being turned into joy, hearts rejoicing when they see him again. So Jesus wants his disciples to have peace in joy. Why do they need to know these things? Well, he tells them just after that, in this world you will have tribulation. He is warning them of the pain that is going to come, the uh, attack of the world, as he describes it. But that if they are in him, they can find peace and joy. This passage, many of the passages we've read over the past few weeks have uh, alluded to this, uh, this idea that whatever we ask in Jesus' name, the Father will do. This uh, promise of joy and peace, these are some of the verses that are the most perverted in our day. You may have heard of this term, the prosperity gospel, and at its highest uh, element, it is that God is going to give you riches beyond your wildest dreams. Prosperity gospel, preachers might drive very fancy cars, even have a jet, wear expensive clothing. It's pretty easy to see the flaws in their message, but there is a much more subtle version of the prosperity gospel that is prevalent and many, many more churches, and that is this, that God has primarily promised his people happiness, self-fulfillment, joy, and peace in our earthly lives. Jesus came to make your life better. And yet, as we look at the context of which Jesus is speaking these words, he is warning them about the uncomfortable, painful persecution that is about to befall them. And even in Jesus' own next 24 hours, the things that he will suffer. And so it can be tempting for us to think about Jesus giving us peace and joy and think about those things in a temporal, earthly sense. That to be full of joy is to be well cared for, successful, happy. But the joy that Jesus brings, the peace that Jesus promises is far greater. And the pain and the sorrow that the disciples will experience, the pain and the sorrow that all of God's people have experienced is merely temporary. As we look at the beginning of this passage, there are this so many times, over and over again, this little while. And a little while you'll see me, and then a little while longer you will not see me. And then you'll see me again, and, and they don't understand this little while. It's almost like they say a little while just too many times to keep it all together. And so what is Jesus preparing his disciples for here? There's a, a little bit of a conversation in the commenta- commentators about this, about is he talking about coming again and the end of the age? But I think it's pretty clear from our passage here, especially as he's talking to these people who will see him again just after a little while, that what Jesus is telling them about is his death and his resurrection. A little while and you will see me no longer. Jesus is going to be taken from them. He will be put to death and they will no longer see him. Temporary pain and sorrow will follow. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. These beloved disciples who have spent their life in the past three years with Jesus, asking him questions, learning about the Lord... will be filled with great sorrow and pain and mourning, not knowing what to do. And all the while, the world around them will be rejoicing that he is gone. The crowd chanting, crucify him, crucify him, will have declared their temporary victory and rejoice. Jesus goes on to tell them towards the end of our passage that they will be scattered, each one to his own home, and they will leave Jesus alone. Where are his disciples when his cross is lifted up? They are cowering in fear, afraid that they might face the same abuse. But this pain, this sorrow, this mourning, it is only temporary. Jesus gives us this imagery of a woman who is giving birth. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her, her hour has come. I don't know if you are a mother or father. If you can remember having a child... It is a terrifying experience. All of a sudden, your peaceful life and your child who hasn't made a peep because he's been inside of the womb is breaking forth, and all of the uncertainties go wild. Your plan, where you were planning to be, the bag you were going to pack, whether or not you were going to use medications, when they have this really uncomfortable monitor on your belly to monitor the baby's heartbeat, all of these variables are coming to play and it is intense. It's a life or death situation, oftentimes, and it can be quite scary. Indeed, very painful. But when the mother has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. The agony of who knows how long of a labor has suddenly dissipates and falls into the background of the joy of a child being born. In fact, that joy, if it was not so great, would prevent anybody from having more than one child, would it not? Who would want to go through this again? Except we know the joy of a new birth. So it is for what is going to transpire here. There is going to be sorrow and pain, uncertainty to come. Indeed, as Jesus speaks these words, we think about what, he, what we're told in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, that was set before him, endured the cross, bearing, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus, for the joy set before him, Endured the cross, despising its shame, knowing like a mother going into labor, it is going to be terrifying and painful, and yet, Lord willing, will end in great joy. And Jesus, knowing full well, as we will see in the chapter ahead of us, the great pain and sorrow that he will endure, he is able to go because he knows the joy that it will bring. The joy of bringing the birth of many spiritual children, remembering back to the words of, to Nicodemus that we must be born again in order to see the kingdom of heaven. Our birth is, comes, the spiritual birth comes through the pain and the suffering of the cross. Jesus bearing in himself the sorrow and pain, not only of just a death, but the wrath of God for sinners. And likewise, the disciples will indeed suffer along with him. But this suffering is temporary, because the joy that Jesus brings, the peace that Jesus promises, is far greater. So if we think about peace and joy, and we don't want to do it in a merely temporal sense, what must we understand in order to have this? I tell you, it must be rooted in something far greater than our temporary circumstances. Just as the joy of a child being born is greater than the pain that preceded it. So the thing that gives us joy and peace must be far greater than our pain and sorrow we are experiencing now. Jesus tells us really of two things here. His death and his resurrection and our new relationship to the Father. As we experience death, perhaps finally, but even in the minute ways in which death creeps in in our lives, pain and suffering. As one of my mentors always reminded our church, you cannot say death if you are in Christ without saying resurrection. Jesus points us for peace and for joy and turns sorrow and mourning into joy, causes hearts to rejoice through his resurrection. When crisis is going to come upon the disciples, when they will see their Lord crucified, when he will no longer be with them and they in their weakness are scattered and hiding in homes, leaving his body over there in shame. The act that changes everything is his resurrection. When they see him again, when he proves to them in the most fulfilled sense of who he truly is and the power that he wields, that even death itself cannot conquer him. As we struggle in our lives, as we experience similar temptations to doubt and to hide, when we are overcome by our surroundings, when we don't have earthly peace and joy, the promise that we have is rooted in Jesus' resurrection. The promise of the resurrection, the evidence of the resurrection, is where we must place our hope. But the resurrection is what has ushered into us this greater age, this age of the new covenant, of the Spirit coming out. Remember, we've talked about the relationship to Jesus, the relationship to the Spirit, the relationship to the Father, the interworkings of how God is bringing about the consummation, where Christ would die for his people, and that the Spirit would be poured out. He says, the hour is coming, and in that day we will, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask my Father on your behalf. Sometimes we think about the way in which the hierarchy of our prayer and our access to God, and we often think that uh, we pray to the Father uh, by the Spirit in the name of Jesus. And that's a good way to think about it. We pray to the Father, and we can only do that because Jesus has made a way, and our prayers are lifted up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is indeed our intercessor as we confess our sins, we have confidence that we have forgiveness because Jesus is our high priest standing before God, interceding on our behalf. But what Jesus reveals to us here is it's not quite that simple. It's not as if we are one or two steps removed from the Father. No, he says... You will ask in my name, and it's not like I'm going to get the card and pass it on to the Father. But the Father himself loves you. It's a profound statement that perhaps we need to spend time reflecting on. The promise that the Father loves you. We often don't think of God as one who loves, not as our primary category. We think of Him as the Almighty, the ruler and reigning King over the earth, right? The one who is so holy and high and lifted up. But in Christ, He shows us His love. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. The father has paid the price for us to be freely loved. By sending his son, by raising him from the dead and giving us his spirit. We don't just have a backdoor entrance into God's presence. God the father loves you the the language here as it's originally written down is is emphatic himself the father he loves you he loves you himself and so we have peace and joy because we have access to the father Jesus says, in this world we will have tribulation, but take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has not promised us an easy life. Perhaps we have lived relatively easy lives, and most of the trials and tribulations we experience are because of our own folly. Despite our own folly, God is promising us peace and joy. And if the day ever comes when we experience this type of persecution, this type of fear, our peace and joy will not be tied to the peace and joy that surrounds us in our world. Instead, it will be rooted in the promise that we find in Jesus' resurrection. Our access to the Father, knowing that we are in him, the one who has overcome the world. This imagery of joy is throughout the New Testament as many letters are sent out. Romans chapter 14, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or Paul later on in Romans chapter 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Perhaps most applicable to us, 1 Peter chapter 1, Though you have not seen him, though we did not see the resurrected Jesus Christ, You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though we did not get to experience what the disciples experienced, we have the same promise, the same joy, the same peace that he offered to them. The same hope of the resurrection is the hope that we must live. For if we are rooted in anything temporary in this world, it will always fail us. It will always leave us in despair. We will always be prone to hide in our houses and abandon our Lord. Unless we are rooted in something more objective. The finished work of Jesus on our behalf the ability to cry out to God, who the Father himself loves us, knowing that we can take heart because our Savior has overcome the world. May we meditate on his resurrection. May we look at death and pain in our world through the eyes of resurrection. May we think of God not merely as one who is so far away, but as our Father who truly loves us. May we find our joy and our peace and our forgiveness that Christ has bought for us. And may we look and hope for the day when we too will rise with him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you've showed your love to us by sending your Son to take away our guilt, to bear your wrath, that we might have peace with you and joy in our hearts, as we belong to the one who has overcome the world who's now seated in heaven. Lord, encourage us in our weakness. May your spirit apply these truths and bring them to fruition in our lives. May we be people of peace and joy. may, May we place our hope in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.